Hello, I'm David Clark, CFA, and welcome to the CFA UK In Conversation podcast. This is the show for investment professionals, focusing on topics and insights that are affecting the profession today. Sustainability, governance, impact. Talk about topics that are affecting the profession today. There's probably nothing more important than how the investment profession is adapting to increasing concerns, both from government and, most importantly, our clients, on how we treat the resources of our planet. With COP26 approaching in Glasgow, there's little else being talked about here in Scotland. So there really could be no better person to talk to me today than Kate Fox, who manages Bailey Gifford's Positive Change Fund, which, according to the fund's website, says that it aims to deliver positive change across four themes social inclusion and education, environment and resource needs, healthcare and quality of life, and addressing the needs of the world's poorest populations. Kate herself is a graduate of the University of Edinburgh in economics and maths, and of course, she's also a CFA charter holder. She joined Bailey Gifford in 2002 after university and is now a partner at the firm, as well as being a key decision maker in the positive change team. And on her biography on the Bailey Gifford website, it says that she believes the financial community plays a crucial role in creating a more sustainable world for future generations. So, Kate, thank you very much for coming on. I'm going to start with that first statement there. Is that how does that work as a fund manager being playing a crucial role for the future generations of the world? Thank you very much for having me, David. Um, this is a topic that I feel passionately about. If we think about the 17 sustainable development goals that were developed back in 2015 to help us move to a more environmentally sustainable and a more inclusive world, they call into action all parts of society, governments, businesses, investors and individuals. So it's going to take a great deal of capital if we're to be successful in meeting those 17 goals. It's estimated it will take five to seven trillion dollars of annual investment. So capital is a really powerful mechanism for change. So this is to say that we believe in capitalism, but a specific sort of capitalism, inclusive capitalism. Um, I really believe that capitalism requires a revamp as we move beyond just thinking about shareholders and short-term profits to thinking about stakeholders more broadly. And that's where we as asset allocators play a crucial role in helping our clients channel capital towards companies that are providing solutions to global challenges. So I think we've got a responsibility as investors, but also a fantastic opportunity. Because to my mind, companies whose products and services are providing solutions to global challenges, they'll be growth businesses. They'll have the opportunity to carve out a strong and sustainable competitive advantage, whether that's being able to attract and retain high quality employees who are seeking jobs with purpose or more loyal customers who are becoming increasingly environmentally and socially aware. So I believe that we've got a responsibility and also a fabulous opportunity to do this. Well, you know, that's a really interesting thing that's always struck me about this, going right back to ethical investing. And we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But is, there, is, it, is the key thing the opportunity? Is it the investment? Is it something that's a good thing to invest in? And the moral aspect is ancillary or is it all bound up together? Well, for us, it's all bound up together. So for us, we have two objectives of equal importance in our strategy to deliver attractive financial returns for our clients and to help them contribute towards a more sustainable world for current and future generations by investing on their behalf in companies that are providing 
global solutions. So both objectives are of equal importance, which means we've developed a process that means they're given equal emphasis, right through from idea generation and analysis through to portfolio construction, and then in the monitoring, reporting and engagement as well. They really are bound together in that we believe that purpose complements profits um, and that you don't have to relinquish one for the other. And Although we know we are still quite early in our evolution within positive change, the fund was seeded back in 2017. Um, our track record is helping contribute to that building body of evidence that you don't have to relinquish returns in that pursuit of purpose as well. Okay, so I mean, in some ways, you know, and, and that ongoing day, you don't have to relinquish returns. And I suppose, would you argue then that it's not that you don't have to relinquish returns, as you say, in some ways? By doing this, you add returns. Is that the whole point of it? Well, we're looking to invest in companies that have the potential to double um, over a five-year investment horizon with significant growth opportunities thereafter. And for that growth to come through fundamental growth, so revenue or earnings growth rather than a revaluation. So that is to say that, that we believe that you can deliver on the impact side of things and benefit from fantastic investment returns ahead of the global benchmark. So I, I think it's really interesting, uh, you know, for myself as a CFA charge holder, yourself as a CFA, CFA charge holder, and we're speaking to the CFA community on this, in terms of how does it affect being a fund manager? Now, is there a danger that you, you know, turn into some kind of campaigner rather than a fund manager? And how do you protect yourself against, you know, always, you know, looking at, you know, the financial aspect, which, of course, is what you've got to do for your clients. So I think if I've understood your question correctly, it's all about our process and the structures that we have in place to enable us to maximise the chances of delivering on both objectives. And that um, comes through in various ways in that, well, first of all, we have diversity of disciplines in managing this portfolio. We have investors and we have impact analysts to reflect that we've got those two objectives. When it comes to our research, as an investor, I'm concerned by looking at the growth opportunities for a business, the competitive advantage, the financial characteristics, the valuation, the quality of the management team, and of course, trying to establish how we think I think a company could be able to deliver positive change as well. The second part of the analysis, which is equally rigorous and robust, is carried out by our impact analysts. And that's where they'll delve into that impact angle, the positive change that a company could be developing and delivering. So here they're looking to understand how the company is delivering positive change through its products and services. So I think that's probably a, a useful point to say, how are we doing this? How do we deliver the impact? It's to identify companies whose products and services are driving positive change and disrupting the status quo. So this is more than excluding companies from doing harm. It's more than investing in companies who are operating responsibly. It's about identifying those fantastic disruptors and companies that are really powering change. So our impact analysts will think about the product impact, the intent of the management team to help us establish the probability of a company delivering that impact, and of course, the business practices, your more typical ESG assessment as well. So that's in the analysis. And then when it comes to constructing the portfolio, we have a small decision-making group, which again comprises of both investment expertise and impact expertise. And we will rank every holding on its potential to deliver on impact and investment. So we're really managing the portfolio to both objectives as well. So, so I'm, I'm interested in that, you know, that impact, uh, in, in, you know, analysts that you have. It, it, it must be quite interesting. I, I'm interested in the dynamic there. 
and you mentioned the word excluding. And again, we'll get to that in a sec, because that was okay. very much a, a way in the past to look at these things. But do they do they almost have a veto over what you do? I mean, how does that work? You know, from your perspective, do they say, well, you can invest in this and you can't invest in that? So they'll carry out their research, which we'll all discuss and debate, and often there'll be follow-up work from that. And then it's up to the individual who initially sponsors an idea whether they think it will make it into the portfolio or not. But everybody's view will be taken into consideration when it comes to that sizing. And the reason we do that is so that we can get those more esoteric names into the fund um, and have a bit of certain level of individual accountability, but also harnessing the diverse opinions and trying to make sure that no individual opinion over overrides. So they don't have a veto, but they're very influential and they're also decision makers in the strategy. So we've got examples of companies that we've looked at from an investment perspective and from an impact perspective. And on considering both decided that it may not meet on either hurdle and that will stop us from investing. And equally, we've sold companies where we think the investment potential is still there, but the impact there is, it has, has been diluted. So our selling and will mirror our purchasing. And again, it's both objectives are of equal importance. I suppose from an investment point of view, you're always looking for that that, that pot of gold, you know, something that's really special, something that's got great potential. And I know just to mention the word esoteric there, do you think that by bringing in this, 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 uh, this facility of this impact it actually opens up the mind and your viewpoint to a much wider group of companies? Um, It's fascinating that you ask it that way, David, because a lot of the time people ask if it narrows our investment universe because we've got these two objectives. But personally, I found it quite liberating. It's provided me much more clarity in what it is that I'm looking for in an investment. And I believe it has opened my eyes as an investor to have a greater appreciation for the growth opportunity of some businesses. So, for example, we own a bit um, shares in ASML, which is a Dutch business which makes equipment that is used to manufacture semiconductors. Now, that might not be an obvious contender for an impact strategy, but it's a company that we think is delivering a huge positive change through increasing the power of semiconductors and making them cheaper thus helping technology become more accessible and more prolific across a number of industries. And I think thinking about it from an impact perspective has helped me better appreciate the growth opportunity and the investment case. You are in some ways at the, at the cutting edge of this, uh, along with others, you know, there are other funds out there, but you are at the cutting edge of this. Do you think you're changing what it is to be an investment manager? Do you think the role is changing? I think the role of the investment manager needs to change because over the last few decades, um, our industry has become increasingly short term and almost lost sight of what it is, what our role is as investors. And it's deploying capital on behalf of our clients to help that capital grow, but deploying that capital towards companies um, to help them invest in research and development, capacity, infrastructure, et cetera, to develop products and services that are valued by society. It's about channeling capital to fuel innovation and entrepreneurship. Now, we take it to a next level because we're looking to invest in the companies that are providing solutions to global challenges. But I think thinking this way will hopefully help our industry go back to its roots and what really our our purpose is as investors. Well, I think there's an interesting point that you made there because, you know, we talked about 
I, I didn't inadvertently want to give you a nice marketing thing there and that it opens up perspectives for you. I'm very glad I did. But in terms of just that uh, using a hook that actually gets you somewhere else. And I'm interested that you talked about, which we all talk about in the industry, about this endemic short termism. And, you know, you can either approach that by going, well, we just need to be more long term. But actually, do you think the hook of looking at the sustainability, the impact actually drives you along that? That It's not that, you know, you're meaning to be more or you're deliberately being more long term, but just the very fact of looking at these uh, factors in your fund drive you to be more long term in your outlook. I think they have to drive you to be more long-term in your outlook because if we were to be successful to resolve these challenges, it really is going to take time. It's going to take years, if not decades, to resolve climate change, biodiversity loss, inequalities that have grown over the last 30 years. Now, sadly, we don't necessarily have decades. We need to have a sense of urgency about us. But you've got to have more than a quarterly mindset if you are genuinely intent on delivering change. Um, and, and I think if you've got that long-term mindset as well as an investor, then you're automatically thinking about that long-term sustainability of a company, which means you're thinking about its social license to operate. It's how it, it treats all of its stakeholders, not just shareholders. And do you think, have we brought the investing public with us? Is this a luxury for those of us in this position to care about or do you think that the investing public are, are truly concerned about these issues there? You know, in, in, some, in as much as they care to you know, possibly see, uh, I suppose, shorter returns maybe or lower returns in the short term because you're looking at the, the, the looking after staff or looking after a wider range of uh, stakeholders. Do you think that the public is with us on this? I think... Increasingly so. Um, and it will require some education for them understanding the impact of their investments and how they can deliver positive change. But I believe that we are at a point where investors and savers are caring about not just the financial returns that they deliver, but the impact that they're going to have on society through their investments and savings over the longer term, particularly so with younger generations um you can really see that you know that they care and they they, they want to be able to to invest impactfully now it, it feels as if we're at a point of inflection with clients and prospects caring more about this whether that's at the institutional level or at um, the individual level but there is a, a variety of attitudes across different geographies but i am optimistic that in time we will converge to everybody thinking about their fiduciary duty much more broadly than financial returns. Yeah. Now, I hope this isn't too much of a challenging question to you, but I'm, I'm wondering how it plays then in a company like Bailey Gifford, which has been around a long time. And, you know, this is obviously a, a change, possibly in the way that, that you're approaching investing, or is it part of the way that some investors always looked at it? Is it evolutionary rather than a revolutionary change, I suppose? I think uh, I believe at Bailey Gifford that it's it's evolutionary because we've always been long term active growth investors. Um, we have always been thinking in five year time horizons. Actually, that's extended towards 10 year time horizons. We're talking about the next two decades. So as I was saying earlier, it's natural if you're looking to invest in businesses 
over the long term. You really care about their sustainability. Uh, you care about their approach to the environment. You care about how they treat their shareholders, how they treat their customers, how they treat their suppliers. So it really is ingrained in, in what we do. Uh, and that's why when the idea of this was proposed by one of our um, well, by my colleague, who was a young investor at the time, he was given the green light by the partnership to go and make this idea of a fund with two objectives a reality, because it felt like a natural next step for us at Bailey Gifford. We talked about exclusion. I wanted to go back to that. Are there sectors that you will just not touch? Is Are there areas that are untouchable? Or is there things that are, they can do that are redeemable that make it possible for you to invest in them? Well, we purposely set out with a positive and proactive approach rather than an exclusionary approach so that we've got an open mind. So, so there are no specific exclusions. We're looking to identify companies that are driving change and take that positive mindset. That does mean that though that there are some industries that we're highly unlikely to ever invest in. So tobacco, for example. I remember somebody challenging me in the early days saying, well, if there are no exclusions, would you invest in a tobacco company because vaping is less bad for you than smoking? And the answer to that is no. Personally, I don't think we know the longer term implications of vaping. Um, they could well be negative. So no, we wouldn't invest in a tobacco company. But we do want to have that broad mindset so that we can identify companies that are very intent on transitioning and quite far through their, their transition as well. So Orsted is an example of a company that we own, which is the world's largest wind farm operator. But it was um, a company that um, was involved in oil and gas extraction to begin with. Um, but then they made a huge transition with great intent and have transformed in, in the space of five years. So it is possible then for, 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 for companies to change, as you say, and, and move down a different route then, yeah? It, it is. But assessing that from the outside, you've got to have a strong belief in the intent that the management team um, have to do that, the ambition that they've got, the, 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 the willingness they have to invest in order to do that. But primarily, we're investing in companies that we believe are today doing something good and they're going to do deliver even more on the positive change side. There's a very nice segue there that you've given us because you talked about the intent of management. Now, I think we all recognise that this is, a, this is a sector that can be manipulated by people saying they're doing things and they aren't doing them or putting out what they think are the right messages and etc. and greenwashing, et cetera, et cetera. How, how do you work through that how can you tell if I mean like a management is serious about doing something yeah I think there are two angles to that David you've got the management teams of the companies that we invest in and you've also got our investment community as well that the managers so sticking with with the management teams we can read about their grand vision the mission statements that they have that can provide us with a clue but that is insufficient what we're looking for are actions and structures that back up those mission statements if we think of tesla for example the vision of elon musk is, is well known and, and well articulated but what provides us with belief that there's genuine intent there are, are the actions that the company have taken. So the continued investment in research and development to try and drive down the cost of their vehicles, the fact that they've opened up their patents to the whole industry in the belief that if we're to be successful in the transformation of the 
um, transportation sector that it will take the efforts of more than one company. Tesla can't do this alone. And thirdly, the fact that their commitment is beyond just the cars themselves, but thinking about how you generate and store that electricity as well. So it's the actions and the structures that are there to, to back things up, to back up those mission statements. I think within our industry, um, one of my greatest fears is that managers will come to this because they see this as a growth opportunity rather than it being the right thing to do. And if it's done with a lack of integrity and credibility, it could really undermine this way of investing, which to my mind would be detrimental to people and the planet and to savers, because as we were discussing earlier, I believe that this is a great way to, to deliver attractive investment returns as well. So I worry about greenwashing, impact washing, or rainbow washing was a term I heard the other day around sustainable development goals. Um, well, uh, I, I, I so much want to go down the Elon Musk route there, but I, I, I know I'd probably be, you know, I, I know you wouldn't let me. One thing that I probably want to end on then, is there other trends that you're seeing? Is, there, is, is, is it limited in geography where these opportunities are, or are they everywhere? Is it more in, de more in developed countries or more in up-and-coming economies? Is there any, any trends that you can find in where these companies and opportunities are coming from? It really is broad-based. Um, what is exciting is that our research pipeline has never been so robust. And I think that may provide some evidence to a contention that I have that I think more companies will be looking to invest um, to develop products and services that are addressing global challenges. So I think we should see a robust pipeline of companies that could meet both of our hurdles. Um, the private space is an interesting area as well for us identifying um, exciting companies that can meet both of our objectives. And that may help us because the base of the pyramid has been a harder theme for us to populate. So that's where we're looking to identify companies that are helping meet those basic and aspirational needs of the poorest members of the population. Um, now, it may be that because solutions for those parts of the population are, are quite local and haven't yet scaled. Um, and it's also been a factor of trying to identify companies that we think meet our growth hurdle as well as our impact hurdle. But there are some exciting opportunities in the pipeline there, whether it's you know financial inclusion in developing countries or e-commerce in developing countries that can really help enable social and economic mobility. Um, so it's that's a long way of saying that you know the, the ideas are numerous and they come from lots of different parts of the world and different sectors as well. Okay, uh, one final question for you. One ultimately final question. You're learning so much, presumably looking at all these companies, looking about the, all this potential. Has it affected you in any of the things that you do personally? Like, has it called into question how you, I don't know, source your coffee or where you shop? These things. Are you learning in that way? And I'm just wondering, has that made any personal difference to you? Yeah, um, it is an absolute privilege to be doing what we're doing, um, to be channeling capital on behalf of our clients in this way. And it is absolutely fascinating. The discussions we have are so far reaching and complex and interlinked. Um, so it, it really is a privilege. Has it changed the way I live personally? I think, I suspect it's probably accelerated changes that I hope I would have made anyway, as I became more aware of global challenges. Um, Coffee sourcing is, is is one thing. What we eat as a family. So 
I haven't told the children, but very often they're given um, plant-based substitutes for meat. Um, I've introduced them to the Beyond Meat Burger. Um, I get cross with everybody when they're running the tap and cleaning their teeth. Um, little things like that. Thinking about our carbon footprint when we go on holiday. We don't need to go on an aeroplane. Very happy going down the road. Kate, thank you very much for chatting to me. And thank you to everyone for listening. Remember to look out for the next episode of our In Conversation podcast through the usual CFA UK email and social media channels. You can also subscribe so that you don't miss an episode through CFA UK SoundCloud channel or Apple Podcasts. And for more information, go to www.cfauk.org forward slash podcast. Thank you.